Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. family. I hope that you are just having a big moment with Jesus this morning. Wasn't it awesome to see a a baptism? Proud of you. Yeah. We promise you you get baptized. We'll leave you alone now, you know, from we're not going to call you out for the next five weeks, but we want you to know we're really happy. This is one of those things where the Bible talks about there being a big party in heaven. So if there's a party in heaven, surely we can have a party down here, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, this is the penultimate sermon in our series of Love Is. If penultimate's a new word to you, you're going to hear me use it a lot because it's just one of my favorite words on earth. It means the one before the end. So one before the end. We have one more sermon after today in our sermon series, Love Is. We've been going first through 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and really defining it because here at Whole Life, love is our, one of our top values. It's part of our value package here. And so we want to go ahead and do it well. And so no place describes love better than 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And so that's why we've been taking some time to go through it. And I will get to what we're going to be talking about today in just a moment. But before I do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being love. Thank you for inviting us to join you in being loving. Today, I pray that you would be here with us, that we would experience you, and that through this time together, we would move a little closer toward being more like you. We pray in your name. Amen. So, uh, show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a courtroom during the sentencing hearing of somebody who has been convicted of a crime. So somebody's been convicted of a crime. Have you been in the courtroom during the sentencing hearing? Wow, there's, there, I think I see just, wow, there's only about three or four of us, I guess, if I include myself, uh, in there. It's, was it, for you, was, I mean, was it a little bit surreal to, to see that happen when you sat in the courtroom and, and heard somebody's fate being determined? I mean, the person's already been convicted, so you know that's happened. But then what always happens after that is there is a sentencing hearing where the sentence is given. And I think when the conviction happens, it's real. But when the sentencing happens, that's where it's really real. Okay. Um, The first one that I ever sat in was uh, for a gentleman by the name of Sonny Shelton. Sonny was best friends or very good friends with the governor of Guam. He was the director of public uh, of, of the uh, parks and rec uh, on the island. And the uh, federal government had charged him with bid rigging, wire fraud, because wire fraud always goes with anything that the federal government does. Um, so bid rigging, wire fraud, and money laundering. 
what had happened was there had been a huge typhoon that had knocked out a lot of the infrastructure of the island. And of course, Parks and Rec had to get cleaned up. And so that's where the Federal Emergency Management Agency comes along and provides money. And there's usually a very scaled-down process for bids coming in. Instead of the normal bid process for a government agency, it gets scaled down a lot. Well, the federal government accused Sonny Shelton of bid rigging, uh, to getting, getting kickbacks to the tune of about $100,000 that, that they said he had, he had taken. And, uh, and it had mysteriously vanished. Now, what became more important about this case for the federal uh, prosecutors was that they didn't think that Sonny was doing this on his own. They thought that, that Sonny's good friend, the governor, was behind this and that the money had been funneled into higher pockets than Sonny's. And so their goal was to try to get him to flip so he would be a witness, but they never could get him to do it. And he uh, eventually was convicted. And his sentencing hearing was in January of 2002. Now, I, was, uh, I had been the reporter covering this case from the beginning. It was one of the biggest cases in the recent history of Guam. It was a big deal. Everybody was paying attention. And I got to tell you, um, and I can say because he was convicted, I, I was quite certain that Sonny was guilty of what he was being uh, charged with. There was no doubt in my mind. It was kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing in the community that, that's, that, that had happened. Now, what I will say is remarkable is they never could find or prove a single penny of that $100,000. They, they brought in the IRS forensic team. Now, I don't know if you know that. The IRS has like a SWAT team of accountants, and they brought them. They couldn't find a penny of where that money went. So um, there you go. We'll just leave it there. Um, but... Uh, but Still, the jury convicted him. They, they felt there was enough evidence that they, they convicted. And so there I was in January of 2002, sitting two rows behind Sonny. As the judge said, Sonny Shelton, please stand, and I'm going to pass sentence on you. And we knew it was going to be um, a stiff sentence because uh, Judge Unpinko was known for not going easy on people. And so as each one of the counts was read, boom, 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 boom. The prosecutors would later go on to brag about it being the harshest sentence that had ever been given to somebody for the, the crimes that he had committed. Um, and I watched as every time that, so I, I sentenced you to 10 years, I sentenced you to five years, I sentenced you, every time I just watched Sonny's shoulders slump. And okay, I'm going to tell you, I'm not proud of it, but I didn't feel too bad for him. I feared the guy probably knew exactly what he was doing and he was getting what he deserved. But then something happened that really changed things for me. Like I said, I was seen on the second row. The row ahead of me had Sonny's wife and his two children. And as the sentence was being read out, I could hear them start to cry. And then they started to sob. And when the judge had finished reading out all the sentences, he said, Sonny Shelton, I am remanding you immediately into the custody of the U.S. Marshals who will remand you to a federal prison as soon as they can possibly get you there. And I watched the man turn around, hug his wife, hug his two children, 
And what, I'm, I'm, as a reporter, I wasn't supposed to cry, but I did. What really tore me is I watched him take his wedding band off, take his belt off, pull his wallet out of his pants and hand those to his wife and kids. And then he was handcuffed and taken out. I bring this up today because our verse that we're going to be studying is 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 6. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. So my question is, should have I rejoiced? It's a hard one, isn't it? Sometimes we go ahead and take this verse and we, we skip over it a little lightly, don't we? Oh, I know it. I'm not supposed to rejoice about injustice. We can all agree on that, right? We shouldn't agree when people are discriminated against. We shouldn't rejoice when, you know, when there are hungry people. We shouldn't rejoice about slavery. We shouldn't, re- you know, we, you know. But I think that one of the things that we really want to understand about this verse is what is injustice? What does it mean to rejoice? And, and what is this truth thing? And I'm hoping that by the time we get done with this time together, we can go back to Sonny Shelton's story and decide whether or not we should have rejoiced because justice was served. Like I said, I have really no doubt the man was guilty. But should have I rejoiced because justice had been served? Maybe the truth won out. I read this text to you first from the New Living Translation because I kind of probably prefer this one the most out of the translations. But the New American Standard Bible also does a very good job of translating it. It looks a little bit different than the way that 1 Corinthians 13.6 is translated by the New Living Translation. The New American Standard Bible says, Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So you might be sitting there saying, well, Ken, which is it? Is it just injustice or is it unrighteousness? And the answer is yes. Remember, we've talked about this a good bit. The New Testament wasn't written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek. It's a different language. And so what that means is sometimes it can be hard to find an exact word that fits perfectly. And so what I'd like to tell you today is that when you take the word unrighteousness and you take the word injustice, and if you were to mash them together in your mind, you now have the idea of what Paul was trying to say unrighteousness and injustice, this kind of mix of the two. So what I want to try to do is go ahead and get to what that means a little bit later on. But first, I think we ought to start off with what truth is. You know, what is truth? Pontius Pilate famously asked Jesus that question. What is truth? Didn't wait for the answer. So please don't get up and leave right now. Um, let's go ahead and see if we can get to an answer. Because if he would have waited just a split second, I think Jesus could have cleared it up for him because in another place in the book of John, John 14, verse six, Jesus says to one of his disciples, I am the truth. I know it says a little bit more than that, but I am the truth. Jesus makes this claim that he is the truth. So there's a lot of truth out there But the only truth, the ultimate truth is Jesus. Anything that Jesus doesn't represent isn't, is not truth. You following along? Jesus is the truth. 
If you want to know what the truth is, you can go to the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which start off the New Testament of the Bible, and you can read about Jesus, and you will know, as Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Isn't that fun, by the way, to change those words out? You will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. Think about that. You will know Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is the ultimate truth, all right? So we together on what truth is. Nod your head if you're still awake and with me here. Okay, good. So we know what truth is. Good. Anyone want to disagree with me? Go ahead and write into the, uh, into the questions at the end of the sermon, okay? Um, and we can, we can have a further discussion about it. So now let's get to um, what unrighteousness or injustice might look like. So here we have Matthew 7, verse 21, right? Matthew 7, verse 21. And Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven. So what's God's will? Well, a young man famously asked Jesus that question. This man was quite wealthy and he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Keep them. I'm condensing the conversation a little, okay? So the first thing we can know is that doing God's will means keeping his commandments, doing the things he's asked, whether that's the Ten Commandments or whatever, the commandments. But I think it's really important to notice that Jesus doesn't, it's just not quite enough just to say, Lord, Lord. It's not enough to claim Jesus' name. You have to live according to God's will. Those who do God's will, those are the people who enter the kingdom of heaven. And so as Jesus continues this conversation with this young man, the young man goes, well, I've kept all the commandments all my life. I'm good to go, right? And the thing that Jesus points out that's so important for Christians to hear is that following a checklist is just not enough. When we condense God's will down to 10 rules, that if we follow them exactly, we're within God's will, we are missing the bigger thing that God wants to do in our life. And I would suggest to you that a lot of times when we make it that check-based religion, we go ahead and start treating people badly because we don't go ahead and go beyond like Jesus did and say things are bigger than that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father that is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty two continues that thought. On the judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We kept the Sabbath. That doesn't say that in that text. We, we went ahead and didn't murder anybody. I didn't steal I cast out demons in your names. And by the way, when you look at we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles, these things, those are kind of big deals, right? I mean, if you're doing those things, you kind of assume that that person must be connected, you know, in a good place. And yet Jesus says, not enough. Not enough. I don't know you. That would be hard to hear, wouldn't it be? So what does it take for God to know us? And this is going to get down to what injustice and unrighteousness is. 
Jesus says to this young man, he says, I want you to go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And then you'll be on the track that you need to be. And this young man said, nah, that's too much. Family, Jesus has a way of getting to the thing that we like to hold on to the most and asking us, is that more important to you than me? Is that more important to you than me? And unfortunately, when we start following just a simple rules-based religion, we start missing the people that God wants us to care about. And I find it very instructive that in Matthew 25, when Jesus pictures the great day of judgment, those who are saved and lost are measured on the same criteria. And it's an interesting criteria. I'm only going to read to you the ones that Jesus says, that were lost, but just keep in mind, it's the same. The righteous did these things. The unrighteous, catch that word, unrighteous, did not do these things. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away from me, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. By the way, I want you to look at these things. The Bible doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, I was in sick, I was imprisoned falsely, and you visited me. That's important. Jesus is saying that you didn't visit me when I was rightfully convicted. Jesus doesn't say, you clothed me when I was naked because it wasn't my fault that I gambled my money away and had nothing to clothe myself with. Jesus doesn't say you fed me when only when it was, I had stopped smoking and drinking alcohol and was on the right. Doesn't say that. And by the way, I want to tell you that I actually think that when Jesus said this, this is a a double meaning in all of this. Remember, Jesus liked to talk a lot about drinking I am the water of life. You gave me something to drink. And so I think that for each one of these, there's the physical aspect and there's the spiritual aspect. I think there's the spiritually naked and the physically naked. I think there, there are those who are spiritually in prison and those who are physically in prison. I think that those who, there are those who are physically hungry and those who are spiritually hungry. And in both of those cases, when we fail to do either side of that equation, We miss what God is asking us to do, and it is unrighteousness. It's not right living with God. Why? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I have two children, and if I ask you to love them, I want you to love them. I have gotten, uh, you know what? When my kids are bad and they do something wrong, it does not change the fact that I love them and that I want good things for them. It doesn't change the fact that I want you to love them and do good things for them. Then those who are lost will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me because Jesus is the truth. And are we helping those 
in need spiritually and physically. Again, I am not like Jesus, I would say. I believe in the law and the commandments. I believe in those things. Keep them. You do well to do so. But don't miss the weightier issues, Jesus said, like mercy and compassion. These things matter to the heart of God, and they should matter to the heart of those who claim to follow him. So we've covered two words. We've covered truth. We've covered justice and unrighteousness. And now I want to finish off by covering another word that's in here. It's this one, rejoice. You notice that in the text it's used twice. You want to see what I'm talking about? Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Both translations do it exactly the same way. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a translation that doesn't do it pretty close the same way. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. The important thing for you to understand is these words in English are the same, but in the Greek language that I told you this was written in, these are two different words. Oh, see, now this is where it gets fun. Because these are two different, even though it's right there, it says rejoice, rejoice, two different words. So let me tell you, the first word that's used does not rejoice about injustice. It means to rejoice, be glad, rejoice exceedingly. And it it conveys a sense of just one person, one person's rejoicing. Now, the second word that says rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That's to rejoice with, to take part in another's joy. So think about that for a second. Can we just back up really quickly here? So love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices with the truth. Are you beginning to follow along where I'm about to go with this? I hope you are. I hope you're following along because I want you to hear this very carefully. This is the way I would translate it, my paraphrase. Love is not jubilant about evil and injustice but rejoices with Jesus when he wins out. You following along with me? So here's a little clue. If you want to try to figure out what it means to not rejoice about injustice, but to rejoice when the truth wins out, could you rejoice with Jesus about what you're rejoicing about? Can I be honest with you? There have been a couple times where there have been people that I've strongly disagreed with and I knew that they were fakes. And then it comes out that they were fakes and I rejoiced. I was happy that they got theirs. I was happy that the truth caught up with them. But as I was studying this verse this week, I was convicted that I was not rejoicing with Jesus because Jesus wasn't happy that they were hurting. Jesus believes in justice, don't get me wrong. He believes in it, but I don't believe he rejoices when other people suffer. Even people who deserve it. I mean, think about it. Think about the person you love the most in life and imagine them doing something heinous would you rejoice when justice caught up with them? You might be glad that the truth ran out, but you would not be happy about it. It would hurt. You would hurt. So the question is, can you rejoice with Jesus? Family, this topic has never been more relevant than in the world of social media. 
when you get on social media, do people know you're a Christian because you don't rejoice when your enemies suffer? You don't rub it in when you are right about masks or not masks or vaccine or not vaccine? Do you not rejoice when one political leader gets taken down? Are you glad that justice happened, but you're not glad to see the suffering? Family, we need to think about this a lot because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is about justice. There will be justice, but Jesus doesn't rejoice in the suffering of others. He doesn't rejoice when other people are hurt, even when they had it coming. question we need to answer today when it comes to how we react to what happens to others, to Sonny Shelton, is, is this something that I can rejoice with Jesus about? If it's not, I'm not rejoicing about it. This sermon series has been exactly what I needed to hear. So for today, love is justice. Certainly a different perspective on rejoicing, right? One thing we know for certain, though, is Jesus will always be the truth. So now we're going to start with a few of our Q&A questions coming in. We have a few questions. So first question, um, if you live with a justice system that seems unjust for the least of these, how do you work for justice in a way that loves with grace and forgiveness? Wow, that's a that's a big question. Um, the... I think that the thing that I have tried to kind of hold on to, because I'm a, it, I'm a, the type of person who gets really frustrated when I see injustice happening. When I, when I perceive something to not be right, it really upsets me. Um, and it probably even upsets me more when I don't, when I feel somewhat powerless to, to do anything about it. Um, and I think that sometimes there's, there's two routes that people go. I think there's the route where people kind of run their heads into brick walls that will never give way and they just get a headache and and brain damage from doing it. I've done that a lot. Um, and then I think the other one is just to walk away from the wall and pretend like it's not there and be like, well, if there's nothing I can do about then I'm going to ignore it. I don't think either one is the right solution. I think that probably what we all need to do is that as we see injustice, when we see bad things happening in our society, ask ourselves, what is within my power to do something about? I might not be able to reform the criminal justice system, but I may be able to go visit people who are in prison. I might be able to help teach classes to, to people. I might be able to hire people who have been convicted of a felony. That's a big one. For some of us who are employers, it's one of the things to think about that, that within a system that's incarcerating as many people as our system is, the worst thing you can do is not give somebody a job when they get out. And yet that's what's happening to a lot of folks who've been incarcerated. They don't get a second chance. And so what is it within your power to do? If you're an attorney, maybe you can be doing something about the justice system. If you're a judge, if you're an elected politician, but if you're not, what's within your realm to do? What's the cup of water that you can take that you know that you can do? And that would be the suggestion I would have. Yeah, I love how you alluded to when we're not in control, you know, we we then have to really let our faith come in and, and take precedent. Um, so we have several questions. So our next is from Stanley. So he must be missing his seat up here. <laughs> <laughs> Stanley just can't stay away, huh? Right. So You know what? I am going to tell you this. We're not going to do Stanley's question. Ah! 
if he wants to ask questions, he's got to show up. Well, we'll answer Stanley's question on the podcast. I'm Stanley. making an executive decision. Executive decision. You heard Stanley. All right. So next question we have for this morning. All right. From Stanley Wayne. knows I love him. Don't worry about it. This is, this is us having fun with each other. All right. So next question from Way Gemmo. Is it wrong to feel vindicated when someone who has done wrong is forced to face the consequences of their actions? Does vindication equal rejoicing? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I think that I think that probably vindication is a very thin line, right? I think there's I think that I think you would have to be pretty close to being inhuman to not feel vindicated. When, when justice is served and when you see something happen. On the other side of it, the question is, do you view that person as a child of God, and meaning they're a, one of your brothers and sisters? Um, I, um, I think that when you really love somebody, you may feel vindicated, but you quickly turn towards how can I help restore how can I make that person feel love versus kind of rubbing it in that, hey, I was right, you were wrong, take that. Great. Thank you so much. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are not able to address any other questions at this time. Stanley. But, <laughs> but please, if you continue to have questions, put them in the chat and reminding you that we will continue to ask these during the podcast this upcoming week. And Sarah, thank you for filling in last minute. We appreciate it. You did a great job. Thank you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We appreciate the fact that you don't gloat when, when we get what's coming to us, but you work to restore us. We thank you as we picture that father who came running out of the door and wrapped his arms around that son, never rubbed it in that I told you you were going to be back, but instead said, you're my son. I'm glad you're home. Lord, may we be like Jesus. May we rejoice with him about what he rejoices with. And may justice prevail. We pray in your name. Amen. I love you, family. Go love your world. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. And our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.